Hello and welcome to another edition, penultimate in-season edition of New Track Record. Justin Kinney and Caleb Hatch with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. What's happening? Oh, not a lot. We're getting into the the thicket of fall. The but thicket Indi- of fall. But IndyCar is winding down. and We don't have to worry about it next year. We will already be two weeks done with the season. That is true. And, and more on the 2022 IndyCar schedule later. First, race recap of the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Okay, mouthful. After I, yeah, that is a mouthful. Colton Herta wins the pole. He wins the race and dominates. <laughs> and <laughs> moving on. Um, I, I mean, going into leak, and I thought, I know we both picked Newgarden, right? We did. But I, I think, I hope I said at least, I at least thought it. If Herta is, you know, competitive, he also could win because, again, it's a track he's won at in the past. And, well, both times any car has raced there since they returned in 2019. What? He won the pole, he won the race in 2021, wins the pole, wins the race. I, I guess my first takeaway is Herta just dominates at this track. And it's not just Colton, his dad, too. I guess I didn't realize until this weekend how good his dad was at Laguna Seca. Right, and it was a combination, too, of Colton Herta being dominant and being trailed by somebody who really wasn't going to push the issue, knowing that a second place really was a prime position to finish in for his championship positioning. So it was a combination of things, and we had some late, uh, I guess, excitement with Roman Grosjean, and I think we'll get to that here in a little bit. But it was a stellar drive for Colton Herta, and once again, asserts his claim as the unrivaled, undefeated, unchallenged number one driver at Andretti Autosport. And, um, you know, I saw a a story by Marshall Pruitt. Love Marshall um, with his cool-down lap and still kind of comparing and contrasting the two drivers. There's no comparison, folks. Colton Herta is number one at Andretti Autosport, and Alexander Rossi is not. And... As soon as next year, he could be number three at Andretti Autosport. Yes. Well, Andretti Autosport set to make a driver amount announcement uh, for Friday of Long Beach. So as we record this, obviously, we don't have the answer to that as we record Thursday night. But we expect that to be Roman Grosjean. And the stats don't lie, too, when you go back between Herta and Rossi. Chad 200 on Twitter. Herta's won the last four Uh, Races for Andretti Autosport, obviously Laguna Seca and St. Pete this year. You have Mid-Ohio last year and Laguna Seca to end 2019. Is that? Yeah, that's right. Because Rossi won in 2019, but it was earlier in the season. Also, and Marshall pointed this out in his cool-down lap, since 2019, since Herta joined the team and he really technically wasn't on the team. You know, he was a satellite yeah. car in 2019. Yep. With uh, Harding Steinbrenner racing at the time. But but since the start of the 2019 season, Herta on, on wins to Rossi, it's 5-2. to two. I mean, the stats don't lie. Yeah, and if we were talking, okay, the last four wins for Andretti's Autosport out of the last, you know, year and change, okay. But we're talking the better part of two years, over two years, you know, and he's the only one. That's one for Andretti Autosport. There's no comparison. I, you know, I looked up some stats and kind of threw them your way. We were we were we were talking about this via text. Is 
Alexander Rossi has the same amount of wins, seven, as Justin Wilson did in his career in just 24 less races. So I think it's 96 career races for Rossi, 124 Justin Wilson. Both tied at seven. Neither one has won a championship. The only thing that Alexander Rossi has over Justin Wilson is an Indianapolis 500 win. And I'm not going to put an asterisk in there because of fuel mileage. It's legit. I'll give it him a win, right? Um, but he just doesn't have it. And he's he, you know, with each passing race, he's proving that he's not as good as people like to think he is. Quite plain and simple. And heard of this year, I mean, outside of some bad luck and you know just mistakes. I mean, this is a guy who last year finished third in the championship. I would expect him to be a title contender next year, right? I, I mean, sure. the team is upgrading, adding Grosjean, we assume. And you would expect him to continue to be that number one driver, as he has been since 2020. And also, you would expect him to contend for a championship again. I think this year was just kind of an off year. Still wins two races, though. I mean, that's not bad for an off year for a driver. Right? Absolutely. So, you know, his his... Finishes, you know, earlier in the season, um, you know, Barber and Texas were especially troublesome. I mean, you know, five of the first seven races he finished 13th or worse, and then he was just kind of, you know, treading water and fighting back from there. So um, it was very inconsistent season for Colton Herta and, and, and definitely a disappointing season, but sitting in sixth and the only Andretti Autosport driver in the top nine. It, it says a lot. It does. And, you know, I think it says more about Andretti Autosport, quite frankly, than it does Colton Herta at this point. For sure. All right, what's your first takeaway? Well, let's talk Roman Grosjean. And he did deliver some excitement there late. That's for sure. Um, The post-game, or post-game, (laughs) post-race celebratory uh, applause for him on the podium was pretty awesome. Uh, he was he was the only one making moves there late. And uh, I never seriously considered him to have a shot up front. He had half of the push to pass that both Polo and Herta did down the stretch. I just I wasn't sure if he was going to be a guy that was going to push the issue. And, and tr- quite frankly, was he even going to try it? You don't want to take out a title contender in second. And, you know let alone get to Herta and try to pass him. So I, I thought it was a little, you know, over ex- over exuberance from Lee Diffie on NBC in the broadcast, but it was cool to see, and it was cool to see him beating and banging with Jimmy Johnson. I can't lie. Yeah, that was very exciting, and, I mean, he carved through the field after his final pit stop. Now, he had six laps of, of fresher tires compared to the leaders, and we thought, okay, he can probably catch – Graham Rahal pretty easily, and he did that, getting to the top five. And he found his way even higher up. And, I I, I mean, he kind of got close to Plo. It just got to the point where you thought eventually the tires are going to be worn out and he's not going to be able to keep up the lap times. But it was crazy how much time he was making up lap by lap because Plo and Herta were, were stuck behind Felix Rosenquist for so long. Right, absolutely, and he ended up getting a podium out of it, and and a, a cool post game or post. I did it again. Post race, <laughs> too much football going on. Post race uh, atmosphere there in uh, on the podium in victory lane. So it was cool for Grosjean. Added, I think, some much needed you know 
thrills there late in the race. And there was plenty of action throughout in the field, but it was obvious that nobody was challenging Herta in the front. So it gave us something to watch in the closing laps and pretty exciting. And, you know, just, you know, reaffirming the fact that um, that Roman Grosjean is really going to be a, a threat, you know, each and every week next year because his second half of the year I mean most of the year has been impressive but after his bad luck duel at Detroit I mean he's just been phenomenal well and also this race showed that he is willing to go for it even after a crash because he crashed yeah. the pace car with his teammate Which was Ed wild. Jones. I, I cannot believe we still haven't <laughs> seen uh, I mean we've seen some closed circuit you know footage or whatever mm. but in car surprised uh, we oh, haven't seen it oh uh, there is in car video that I saw look it up on uh, motorsport.com nice. so I actually watched that doing some prep. So, yeah, he did crash uh, the the Honda Civic Type R pace car. Oops, going into pit lane, and we've all seen pictures. It's not and, just and a bump; it was he tore. No, it up. the airbags were deployed. It's yes, pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, the airbags were deployed in the video. They they walked out of the car and kind of looked around. I mean, they got out quickly though. So <laughs> yeah, and they're you know probably you know what do we do? Do we <laughs> yeah? Uh, oh crap! We just crashed something, and then not a good omen. When they accelerate out of pit lane, and uh, Ed Jones says, "Wow, I think you may have shot the brakes there." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I would imagine you know Honda will probably reconsider their um, their strategy of allowing these drivers to drive the pace car uh, on driving weekends. Yeah, just just a guess, something to consider <laughs> for sure. But yeah, congratulations to Grosjean. Great drive, and and once again, just showing how popular he has become within an IndyCar. My second takeaway, simply, I thought, okay, Laguna Seca, this is going to be a very boring race. Herta wins the pole. Okay, he's probably going to dominate. Well, he did dominate, but the tire strategy and how that played out for this race made it way more entertaining than I think most people expected. I would agree. It was a very competitive race, you know, outside of Colton Herta there up front dominating. There was a lot of action in the field, and it was an entertaining race. It was, wasn't was something where I feel like when you look at the environs around, you get a very Sonoma feel just with the uh, all the all the brown and surrounding it, and usually Sonoma is a pretty big snoozer. But, um, you know, a, a, a track that everybody says is so tough to pass, there was a lot of action. There were a lot of on-track passes. Yeah, a, a lot of passes through the corkscrew, a lot of pace, uh, passes on some of the straights. I, I thought there was a ton of action for a track that I had such low expectations for, and, and I'm glad because it was truly an entertaining race. I would absolutely agree. So that that's just my second takeaway is that I was entertained at a track that I expected to be bored to tears by. You know what I was entertained with, and this is my second, is Scott Dixon not having everything go his way all the time. <laughs> um, you know, Scott finishes 13th. You know, he has the issue and gets into Takuma Sato, which I felt was unfair that the uh, that NBC was kind of leaning on Takuma Sato. Why would he keep rolling? He's rolling out of the racing line on practically a blind curve. Yeah, with somebody coming over that hill. So unfortunately, no matter I think no matter what Takuma Sato did there. It was going to be trouble, but he was trying to get out of the racing line for other cars coming. And then Townsend Bell saying the two words, poor Scott, which made me scoff because <laughs> nothing ever goes wrong for Scott Dixon. And it finally does. And we're supposed to feel sorry for him. 
Like, the law of averages will never, ever catch up to Scott Dixon. The racing gods will never allow that to happen. It happens one time, and, you know, we're supposed to feel, you know, very unfortunate for him. Like, it is bad for him, but everybody has bad luck days, and finally Scott Dixon had one. Well, the the only other time I can truly think of, I know he had issues at Road America, but the one that stands out, or sorry, not Road America, at, at, at Indy, and the one that stands out, of course, he's near the lead, lapping at the front early in the race. Yellow comes out. He hadn't pitted. Pits were closed, so he still couldn't pit. Had to get emergency fuel, then had a penalty, and the race just went south from there. And, and you know, that's one of those, wow. Yeah, like this never happens. How, how do they make that mistake? How do they have that battle yeah. luck? And then we saw it again this week, and it's just – he always finds a way, so you you get surprised when it actually doesn't work out for him. Yes, absolutely. So it was a shock for sure, but a bit satisfying, and I'm sure a bit satisfying for other snake-bitten drivers of the paddock that finally something didn't go his way. For sure. All right, uh, my third takeaway, and we've kind of talked about this, but let's go back to Alexander Rossi. At the start of this race, he is challenging Herta early stages, they get side-by-side. Side. Rossi makes contact, goes off course, spins out, rejoins a few laps down. His race is over. I understand that it is tough to pass at that track. Yeah. But at what point do you as a driver learn to pick your spots better and maybe be less aggressive when you know you need results, not just wins, but results to salvage a season. I, that's why I just get the all-or-nothing mentality out of Alexander Rossi, and he's just a guy that's going to, you know... There, there's something to be said about a driver that doesn't care, and he's going to beat and bang and whatever, but there's also something to be said about a driver that kind of knows his place at this point and knows when to push and not to push, and I think Alexander Rossi is is beyond frustrated. I understand. I, I think it's going to be a fascinating storyline to watch if these struggles continue through 2022, because there's plenty of off or you know off the track drama with that team, from what we understand. And if they go another year of of not winning a race, then it's going to get you know even worse. So, look, I, you know. Alexander Rossi is a good race car driver. I agree. I, I'm on board. But I am past the point of him being a star in this series. You cannot go the amount of time, the length of time that he has gone without a win and still be considered a star of the series. It just doesn't happen. Well, okay, let me think of a, a good comparison. So Graham Rahal hasn't won a race since 2017. Is he a star? No. I mean, he's really good. There's a difference between being a star of the series and being a popular driver in the series, I feel. Like, I, I'm, I'm equating star as your top drivers in the series. Okay, so okay. You're, you're talking... So, right now we have Pillow, Dixon, Newgarden, Pato, and Herda. What, Herda, and that's probably it, honestly? Yeah. As far as currently? I mean, yeah. I mean, probably, for sure. Um, I mean, Pagano hasn't won a race this year. Will Powers won one. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I agree, but I don't think you can throw in many other guys. So in terms of you know your your power players in this series, yeah, Rossi's not it. Graham Rahal's not it, and 
I feel like Rossi almost is driving to the point where he expects people to race him different because he's Alexander Rossi, and that's not the approach he needs to be having. Well, I remember at, I want to say it was after Gateway that Pato had kind of a sideways comment about Rossi that I found curious and interesting. I think it comes down to Alexander Rossi is pushing, pushing, pushing way too much. And unfortunately, anytime he really has a car capable of competing at the front, you know, he finds a way to, you know, screw it up. I mean, yeah, he didn't at Portland. He was okay at the GP2. Um, but Nashville, he got into it with Pato, and they were both going for the same spot there. So yeah, I don't really I know just, who's to blame for that one. I, I agree. You know, if you take a micro look at it and you take individual races and say, yeah, this unfortunately went wrong, this unfortunately went wrong, uh, you know, what could have been. But then you look at a macro and say, okay, this guy hasn't won in over two years. That falls on the driver. In my opinion, you're going to have your fair fair share of missed setups and bad luck and all that. But it's been enough of a sample size that this guy has gone, you know, what, the better part of, uh, you know, 29. Two and a half seasons. 41 races without a win. That's, I that's mean, on him. Road America 2019. I mean, you look at the races, too, that you could argue, I mean, his mistake completely cost him. I, I mean... Obviously, it happened at Gateway when he when he crashed, and that was his mistake coming out out of the pits. I mean, it was such a mistake that was so shocking. It was like, what what is happening here? I mean, that's yeah. a rookie mistake. Obviously, at Laguna Seca, I mean, that was a mistake. You go back to the Indy 500 last year. That penalty was not called, and then he had a good restart, and then he stuffed it in the wall. Um, I'm sure there are numerous other examples that I'm thinking – I mean – he starts off having good events a lot of times. Like, it's not like he's qualifying poorly. I mean, he qualified in the Fast Six this past weekend, so it's not qualifying pace. You know, that's the issue for Graham Rahal. If Graham Rahal could qualify in the Fast Six on, you know, just a handful of these road and street course events as opposed to, like, what, one of them? <laughs> he yeah. had a Fast Six yeah. all season. I mean, he would be contending for the championship year in, year out, for sure. Yeah. I just think this uh, this IndyCar field, even in just a little time of two years, has been, uh, you know, injected so much talent into this series. And whereas in 2019, 2018, Alexander Rossi was probably a top three driver in this series, now he's towards the bottom of the top ten. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point because you've had Herta, Palo, Award, Grosjean, uh, Renus VK, you can throw him in there. All have come in just <laughs> in those past two years, which is, I mean, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe even a Marcus Erickson, at least in his current ride with 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 uh, Ganassi. Yeah, since since he switched teams, yeah, yeah. his performance has so, gone way up. You know, we're we're seeing the sink or swim with with drivers that you know once were always close to the pointy edge, edge of the of the of the grid all the time. Um, and Scott Dixon has been able to swim, you know, and Joseph Newgarden has been able to swim in terms of the last couple of years. But others are sinking. Simon Pagano is sinking. Will Power is sinking. Alexander Rossi is sinking. So it's, um, you know, this this new talent, this crop of talent has usurped those drivers, including Alexander Rossi as being tops in the series. And, you know, 
I, I'd be I'll be very interested next year when we see. IndyCar unveil its, um, you know, the uh, the promotions plan that we see for like a week and a half, and then it goes away. Is we kind of scoffed this year, you know, when Renus VK was in that group, but you know, is Alexander Rossi <laughs> even in that picture next year? If you're picking your top four drivers of the league, I'm not picking Alexander Rossi, Dixon, Newgarden, and then th- I'm picking Grosjean. Yeah, Grosjean, Palo. Pato, Herda. Yeah. I mean, those are all six before guys. Rossi. Yeah, and quite frankly, I don't think Ray the fan Hall, base I put there. Before, yeah, too. I don't think the fan base is there for Alexander Rossi, to be honest. So, you know, he's just got to find a way, and and unfortunately, it looks like he has no chance of going elsewhere at this point for 2022. He's stuck. He has to figure it out, and you know, come as soon as you know. Very soon, when 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 Andretti Autosport announces Roman Grosjean to the team, he becomes you know the third best driver in that paddock right now. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, that's not a stretch. I mean, that, I think that's reality. Yeah, with what's absolutely. Happening. All right, what's your final takeaway from Laguna Seca? Oh, uh, what is my final takeaway? Um, let, let's talk about the championship because you know God knows we haven't talked enough about it <laughs> at least through the broadcast. And you and I were talking, you know, before the show, and we kind of both shared a little, you know, a little bit of, you know, yeah, it's exciting with the championship, but you know, let's 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 get this champ- champion crowned and move on. And I was at the of the opinion on Sunday watching the race that I wanted Alex Pillow to clinch the championship at Laguna Seca, so we could go in to a Long Beach race. That's celebrated and, you know, has become an institution. And yeah, it's been moved and it'll feel a little bit different, but it's still the same. And it just be basically an exhibition. Everybody's going for a win. Everybody's saying, screw it. We're not playing these games. And it's constantly on the screen on the championship chase and all that stuff. And NBC actually has to find something else to talk about outside of the championship. And all 27 or so drivers are only racing for a win 28 drivers 28 drivers so it'd feel like in the indianapolis 500 a little bit it's the only race all year where we're we're actually not bombarded with constant points championship talk even early in the season you know remember joseph newgarden spins out and they were already (laughs) talking championship first race of the season it's 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 exhausting and this brings up a greater thing, you know, we've talked about it before and even, you know, clashed with, with our, our buddies at other podcasts on what's more important or what's more memorable championships or wins is I'm going wins every single day. And I just feel like we're just bombarded with this talk about the championship. And I know it's important and all that, but, you know, we go into a weekend where the schedule is announced and there is almost next to no coverage on the schedule outside of here is the schedule. Well, part of it is you announced it on a Sunday at what approximately noon Eastern. Yeah, it was a little so random. an hour away from you the sent it NFL kickoffs. Yeah, it was weird. As opposed to, you know, maybe on a, a Friday where you could get some more coverage out of it. I thought that was well, an interesting move. I, I don't know. I know they do everything for impressions and social media and all of that stuff, but to me, I would think you could actually get more coverage because it's not going to be overshadowed by the NFL Sunday slate. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, getting real, you know, back to the third point, I, I just, I was really hoping that going into Long Beach where I could sit back, relax, watch the final race of the year, and really just care about who won the race. 
And quite frankly, that's really all I care about right now going in. You know, barring something crazy, Alex Pillow isn't you know is going to win the championship. And you know what? If if Pato Award wins it instead, okay, cool, whatever. Um, I'm a lover of IndyCar, really not a fan, a mega fan of any one particular driver. So I really don't care who wins the championship. I just want it to be exciting. Um, I feel like we could have been more exciting at Long Beach if everybody came in and was like, hey, I'm going for a win. Nothing else matters. To be fair, 27 of the 28 drivers are going for the win. The the lone exception is going to be Alex Blow just trying to get through the race. But even then, you're still going to have guys that, okay, I'm going to respect what's going on in front of me and all that stuff. Like There's still going to be situations where you're not going to push it or you may not race uh, – a driver as hard because you know he's in a championship fight. I, I, I seriously want an exhibition where everybody just doesn't care. Uh, I, I mean, we get that at Indy. I get it. I know, but it would just be refreshing. And also, maybe not as much as the the um, the the race itself, but the broadcast would have to find something else to talk about and focus on than incessantly hitting us over the head with. Here's the points positions and asking the drivers pre, you know, pre-race, post-qualifying, all this, you know, are you going to, are you going to go for it? Are you going to be, you know, (laughs) are you going to, you just sit back? What's your strategy? You know, it's like, it's the same questions all the time, every year. And uh, at this point of the year, I I seriously grow tired of it. I I really just want to watch a race that I don't have to care about points. And that's why I was hoping somebody would wrap that title up last week. Unfortunately, didn't happen. I understand your reasoning. I think to me, I'm not as concerned about it because unless something crazy happens where, I I mean, basically Pato has to win. So if he's nowhere near the front, we don't have to worry about the championship unless something happens to Polo early on. He has an engine failure again, or he gets caught up in a crash. Then you have actual entry to get you through. I, I mean, to me, it's Long Beach. It's the crown jewel of street courses in America in the second biggest street course race in the world, in my opinion. And more entertaining than the um, the the quote-unquote biggest yeah. by far. Yes. And, and Long Beach should have a lot of carnage. It should have a lot of guys going for it because you have guys trying to keep their jobs for next year by putting in a good performance to close out the season. People who, who want and or need wins, I mean – Throw out Rossi out there. I mean, think about other guys who have had a less than stellar season. Simon Pagano, Will Power. Um, Renus VK has really struggled since his injury, since he came back. You know, maybe he wants to put in a good result. So I think guys are going to go for it. I'm not really concerned about that. But your point about the constant championship talk, yeah, it, it does get old, especially, as you said, at Barber, the first race of the season, they brought it up which was just so laughable. It was yeah, it's just ridiculous. I mean, we've we've said it before, Caleb, no championship talk, zero none until after the 500. That should be a rule. Roger Penske should should make it this off season. Nobody could talk about championship until after the Indianapolis 500. And it's a crutch because nobody else, you know, oh crap, I don't know what to ask. Oh, I'll just ask about the championship and I'll ask the same questions all the time. And it's just exhausting. The only time it comes into play is when you have someone start a season like Dixon did last year or Pagano in, what, 2016, where they're winning three or four races before the 500. And yeah. It's like, okay, it's right. it's over it's, unless it's, they completely <laughs> melt down. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 it's frustrating because 
I went into the pre-race, and I don't know how much, if any, you watched. I don't watch the pre-race. I really. know, but <laughs> you know, there's so much emphasis on the on the championship, interviewing all the drivers that are in the championship race, and there was not a single track preview outside of when they were doing the pace laps, and they just kind of showed the track. But you know, this goes back to not having that extra person, right? What, what's what's the pit strategy right what's the what's the fuel map me like how much fuel do you have where are the passing zones on this track what's you know the you know talking about the corkscrew i know they do that and take a shot every time they bring up the pass please <laughs> and there's just like no no intelligence like if you didn't know anything about laguna seca you didn't learn anything by the time that race started zip none it's it's yeah it's Look, I've been harping on it for a long time. It's you know NBC's broadcasting gets gets tired at times, and I'm not saying they do a horrible job, and I'm not saying they should go to a different network. I'm not doing that. I just wish they would mix things up a little bit. Is all I'm saying. Well, with most of the races being on NBC next year, you would think we'll have shorter pre races for one. <laughs> Although they had you know a several you know half hour pre races this year on NBC. That's that's but, true. Yeah, I uh, I hope beyond hope that that's and I just. Look, I, I don't I don't hate anybody on the the NBC um, broadcast team. I think they do a good job. I just th- think they need to add some different dynamics. All right, so that wraps up our three takeaways on uh, the race at Laguna Seca. Taking a look at other results, Marcus Erickson yet again. What is this? His Ho-hum. ninth straight top ten finish. Uh, ninth or tenth? Yeah, uh, he's on a tear. Oliver Askew, ninth uh, in the 45 car. Ed Jones in a 10th, uh, shaking off the minor injuries. I think he had a like ice pack on his neck. I think is what Marshall Pruitt wrote following his crash with his teammate. Whoopsies. Yeah. Scott McLaughlin, a decent race. I think, you know, 12th, it really doesn't jump out at you, but I think for him that's a big result because he has struggled on tracks that aren't ovals, you know, right. this year for most of the season. So I think that's a big confidence builder, especially to attract like Laguna Sega that's very technical. Uh, so I think that's also notable as well. And, uh, well, Colton Herta did dominate. He didn't lead every lap, Justin. Roman Grosjean led four. In fact, there was an on-track pass for the lead. I get that it was on pit sequence. <laughs> it counts. But there was a legitimate on-track pass for the lead, if I'm not mistaken, because uh, Grosjean got passed by Herta, right? Yes. Yeah, so... Hey, intrigue. We'll, we'll take what we can get. It counts. Absolutely. Taking a look at the TV rating, according to Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal. This is on Big NBC, a .44 rating, 715,000 viewers. Now, how does this compare to Laguna Seca in 2019? I got a .50 and 732,000 viewers. Again, though, up from last week uh, at Portland. So that's a positive and... Again, that that race in 2019 was the finale. This one was not, so not much of a discrepancy in viewership. I, I would say is a positive sign. Yeah, I agree. Look, it's it's to me, it's it's a death knell Saturday Sunday afternoon against football. I don't care if you're on network or not. So I feel like that's a pretty solid number going up against the NFL. All right, let's get into the schedule because I think that's the yes. More, could somebody more break this down? Thing. Because it seems like we're going to be the first ones to do it. <laughs> So we we look at the schedule and St. Pete, the city council there had the meeting. They moved uh, the schedule up to February. So according to Nathan Brown of the Indy Star, it'll be the first time IndyCar has started a season in February 
going all the way back to 2004. And I want to say that was Homestead that started that season. I believe you are correct, sir. So this goes back quite a while. Then we get to kind of the question marks on the schedule, and that being, well, the gaps. So there's a three-week gap before you get to Texas and the March 20th date for the Genesis 600 at Texas Motor Speedway in conflict with uh, 12 Hours of Sebring, which is the day before. Uh, This, according to Jenna Fryer, Roger Penske says discussions will be had on how to assist the IndyCar drivers who also race Sebring. Um. I mean, yeah, we'll we'll see how that works out. It sucks, but whatever. I don't yeah. really care. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I kind of agree with you on this. I mean, IndyCar has to go on their own. I mean, I I understand they partner with IMSA a lot. Yeah, but they don't own IMSA. I no, mean, it's, yeah. It's, why should they? You know, <laughs> they have to try to dodge major sporting events. They try to dodge, you know, directly against NASCAR. Now they're supposed to dodge IMSA. It's like. You know, eventually you just have to put a schedule together. I'm sorry. And I feel like that's what the message was from Roger Penske. Look, sorry, teams, but we're racing this weekend. You make a decision on when you're going to be. Yeah. And moving Texas around again, probably not going to work out great. But also, I think we both kind of expect that to be the end of the road for Texas unless they can find a way to draw fans and make the racing better. I thought, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I saw Texas Motor Speedway kind of tease a big announcement and they put both a cup and IndyCar in the graphic. Right. And I thought that was teasing an IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader, but I guess not. No. No, it it was not, but it was it was a way to I guess get people interested. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, and I, it definitely fooled us. Yeah. St. Pete moves back to March, but the, the first weekend in March in 2023. But then you – so you have the gap there. Then you have another gap of, what, three weeks, and then you get to Long Beach April 10th, uh, Barber May 1st, the GMR Grand Prix, IMS May 14th, Indy 500 May 29th. Then the, the next question mark we get to is the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix just won – no, no duel no in duel. Detroit or doubleheader on June fourth. So it'll be a Sunday race. On one hand, I get it because you added the race, you moved Barber back a week from what it was this year into May. So you have three races in May this year. You give the teams sort of a break by having one race. Uh, personally, moving Barber to to uh, May instead of April is odd i know they had to work around talladega and you had to work around easter uh, but you would think it would have been earlier you know you would think it'd be that long beach date or a week after um but i know you know i i think uh, fortunately or unfortunately the amount of races you have on network you have to be dictated a little bit by the schedule and i think that's what affected some of these dates i i was just going to bring that up i i think getting races on nbc really had to move some of these dates around. I don't think they moved any of them around so much that it's a a big negative. I mean, right. to me, outside of Texas, but um, I don't. Think, but I don't think that really matters. Yeah, I wasn't going to draw anyway. You're going to draw <laughs> on March 20th the same you would the, in the April weather or June is or whatever. So hit or miss. Yeah, in in North Texas that time of year. I mean, it could be hot. It could be rainy. It could be cold. Who knows? We'll we'll see. Uh, so one Detroit race. How do we feel about that? Uh, can somebody tell me why? 
Have you seen anything anywhere whatsoever on the interwebs of why there's only one Detroit race? No. I, I mean, I, I think it's a good idea, quite frankly. I Look, I'm war, after watching a race, two races in two days on the same circuit, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm missing anything, to be honest. But there's no rationale. I've not heard any rationale on why that decision was made. Outside of the implied giving the teams a bit of a break. But, yeah, you know, you're still going to Detroit and all that. Yeah, there's and, no week off in between the 500. Yeah, and, and you know, it's Rogers' event, too, up in, in Belle Isle, right? So um, it's kind I, of I surprising. Know the team owners, I think, didn't like the doubleheader concept. But, but it's been around this, for so long. It's been around for so long. Also, <laughs> they they cancel the Detroit doubleheader and then add one in an oval, in which Iowa, is way yeah. more expensive. Yeah, so I don't know the reasoning. I, I'm not upset about it. It's fine with me. It's just weird. Why now are we going down to just one race at Detroit? And nobody seems to want to ans- ask that question for some reason. And, and to me also, so you get to June 12th and you have Road America. So you, a- again, have another race that following weekend. And and also with Detroit, I just realized this. It, I didn't connect the dots so, June fourth for Detroit is a Saturday. Really? Yeah, and I don't know why I didn't realize that before. I guess it's just assumed the one race was a Sunday, but yeah, you're yeah. right. So that's very interesting because you're finishing up the five hundred on Sunday. You have what the banquet on Monday, Monday, and then Saturday you're in Detroit. Which means on Friday you're on track, which means you better get there Thursday, at the latest. Yeah, I mean you would do do a Friday Saturday, and so would if IMSA's racing with them that weekend, that would be on Sunday. Yeah, I, it's weird. That is that is weird. I I just noticed the dates looked kind of off. That that's a a different one. Uh, okay, never mind. That was a typo. So it is Sunday, June fifth. All right, all right. That, I knew that didn't make sense looking at it. All I thought right. that looked off. Well, okay, scratch that. Scratch it. You have Mid Ohio back on the July fourth weekend. I actually like that. I I went to it this year. I thought, you know, I thought okay, you take this away from its traditional date, attendance will suffer. I thought attendance was solid this year. And I think it'll be solid again next year. You have a two-week gap to Toronto, and that is our lone Peacock race. So they got an extra race on NBC. They got 14 instead of 13. Only one instead of two races on Peacock. Toronto's the race on Peacock. Huh, wonder why. It's probably because that's the one most at risk of potentially not happening next year. Yep. And then you have the doubleheader Iowa July 23rd, 24th. The uh, race in conjunction with the NASCAR weekend back at IMS on the road course, July 30th. Nashville, year number two, August 7th, same same weekend. Uh, Gateway, August 20th. That will also be on USA Network. And then to close the season, Grand Prix of Portland returns to Labor Day weekend, September 4th. And then Laguna Seca, September 11th, to round out the schedule. So looking at this schedule, Justin, I think it's clear that they were trying to add some races in the earlier part of the schedule. I know we know that Homestead was a possibility. They were trying to make that happen, and, and NASCAR said no. 
and I would guess that would have come a week or two after St. Pete on the schedule. And then also there's another gap, you know, in between April and May between Long Beach and uh, Barber. To me, the, this is the area of the schedule where in 2023 you could potentially add Homestead and or a race in Mexico or, you know, some other, you know, flyaway race outside of the U.S. or Mexico if, if they're able to add something internationally. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I feel like maybe they're setting up 22 to then have an opportunity to add a couple for 23 in some of these slots. And, you know, the races we've heard that have had a shot, right? Homestead, uh, Mexico, those are going to be races you're going to be able to go to earlier in the year. And those are where your gaps are. So maybe that's uh, a little foreshadowing. I, I mean, we can only hope, right? Because I think those are the only realistic possibilities and currently, yeah. because Richmond's not going to be added back on anytime soon, as far as, you know, 2023. Probably not. Um, but, you know, we've been, and we as in, you know, IndyCar, they've been fighting this early season gap problem for years. This is not a new thing. Uh, it's always a constant struggle to find races in the early part of the slate, and next year, no exception. Yeah, and... They at least get the oval in before the 500. I don't care about that. I think you like that, right? I do. Yes, because I think if there's severe issues at an oval with the with the package, they can rectify it before the 500. That's that's a good point. Also, and since you brought that up, obviously they'll do the test at IMS on the oval, probably between Long Beach and Barber, one would guess, or maybe even that May 8th day. Um on that off weekend or no well that would be would that be mother's day or that be may 15th uh when is mother's day 2022 i thought it's usually the day after this the grand prix usually but it's it's usually the second weekend in may so it's the second weekend of may it's may 8th so it is may 8th so never mind they won't do the test that day but they could do it may 7th like that Saturday or that Friday, like Thursday, Friday before, which would be what the fifth and the sixth. Yeah. So they could do the the IMS test then, or sometime in April. I would think late April would be better. Just you have a gap and have it on an off week. Obviously, that will probably be streamed on Peacock as well as we expect the test coming up in October to be streamed on Peacock with Grosjean and Jimmy Johnson expected to participate. Uh, so that's where we're at with, with 2022 on the schedule. Overall, I think pretty solid. We didn't expect many changes once they added Iowa. I think I'm pleasantly surprised that Toronto is on it for now. We'll yeah. see what happens Asterisk with that. for now. Uh, IndyCar Deep Throat telling us that that is kind of dependent on what's happening with that snap election and what, you know, what party has control of the Canadian Parliament and how sporting events and, and large events are, are happening, not happening, kind of depends on who's in control there is kind of just, my understanding. I just feel like that's another, what, 10 months away? I mean, Canada should have it figured out by then, right? One would hope, but... I mean, <laughs> I mean, look at where we're still at and yeah. what we thought going into the but season, th- we thought we'd be clear. But then again, you know, maybe it's just we give, you know, zero Fs down here, right? Where we got 
you know, college football all over the place with tens of thousands of people and what, you know, whatever. Let's, and, and I think care, care, uh, Canada is a, a lot more cautious and I respect that, but I also feel like, you know, eventually you're going to have to lift the reins, reins a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The other news out of the weekend, which I think was a major positive and dropped at a normal time on a race weekend and, and not at a time slot that would get somehow less attention. And that is that uh, Aero McLaren SP announced a multi-year extension with Aero Electronics with the team through 2028. It's a long time. Which is a very long time. That's more than five years out, which is their slogan. <laughs> well played there. Thank you. Um, very good deal for Aero McLaren. I mean, that partnership's gone on for a while. That first started what in 2015 i believe yeah around there and that's when hinch had had the crash and then he won the pole in 2016 for the 500 so then obviously they had the, the fallout a couple years ago with Hinchcliffe, but it's worked out with Pato, and felix has been kind of hit or miss since the injury and we expect him to have a third car in the future now when that will be we don't know it probably won't be next year do you expect a third car to run more than just the 500 next year? Yes. Okay. In fact, any car deep throat telling me that uh, Juan Pablo Montoya uh, would be welcome back for the month of May, and I, that would include – I don't think that would include Barber when, when saying yeah, that. Yeah, I don't think but so. But, I would think know. that mean the GMR, so, GP, yeah. and also the So more than two races, because I forgot that Montoya did both last year. Do you expect a third yes. car to do more than two races? I, I do, actually. Okay. Yeah, me too. I think they'll have, you know, more more races and set themselves up for a full-time third car in 2023 and I think that's where you get in into kind of the the question of, you know, who could that driver be? We've said all along we expect Alexander Rossi if he's available to be that guy whether he gets bought out of his contract or at the end of his contract, which would be end of next year. But uh, Stoffel Van Dorn was hanging around he the was, paddock. He was hanging around with everybody. Yeah, so former McLaren F1 driver. And I forget he's still only, like, he's not even 30 yet. He feels like he wow. should be, like, 45 years old. Well, he's technically not available because he still has a contract with Mercedes and Formula E through, I want to say, next year. Yes, next year. So we'll see. I mean, look, look at it this way. They've run... Um, Kevin Magnuson in a car and a replacement for Felix Rosenquist. He's not available anytime soon. He's got that Peugeot deal for next year with uh, WEC and, and racing at Le Mans. So you got to set yourself up for the future, but also I would think they're looking for some stability. To me, just pick the best driver available on the market next year. I would agree. I feel like despite me bashing him earlier, that very well could be Alexander Rossi. Yeah, I, I think so, as well. So that that's kind of the the key takeaway. Uh, also from the weekend, and and speaking of a series in the future, Indy Lights a big change for 2022, according to TSO Ladder. As we get to some of the other highlights from the weekend, IndyCar will be bringing Indy Lights back in house for 2022. This one is very surprising. Yeah, you know, surprising. Um, 
I don't know if shocking, I don't know if we go to the, the way of shocking, but what do we expect in terms of the changes? Do we expect more uh, capital invested? Do we expect, um, you know, more synergy between the teams at the Indy Lights level and IndyCar level? I mean, what kind of, uh, what should we really think about with this going forward? Well, so reading this article, what was then the American Racing Series started in 1986. It was promoted by CART, 86 through 2001, then Indy Racing League slash IndyCar from 2002 through 2013. So it's not like they haven't had the the sanctioning body promote the series before. Right. I mean, it's happened multiple times. But it's just a big change because Anderson Promotions uh, has done it for so long. And I think Anderson Promotions has done a very good job within its realm of influence and how much it could commit to the growth of Indy Lights and the road to Indy, quite frankly. It's obvious that Roger Penske and his team think that more can be gotten out of it. I feel like it be I feel like there'll be an injection of even more capital into that series. Um not just from teams, but I think the series itself, because it knows uh that it is still the the lifeline of talent. And it's still a major draw for drivers all over the the world, the road to Indy. So how do they take it to the next level? How do they elevate it? Because that's that's why they're bringing it back in-house, so they can take it to the next level. What is that next level? Is it 20 cars? Is it the majority of the teams in IndyCar have at least one, uh, you know, one car in Indy Lights? Is it... Um, you know, a development of a, I wouldn't expect this, but is a development of a new car? I, I don't know. I think, what what's what are the thought processes behind this move? I don't think it's a new car because the, the chassis is relatively new. I think it's just a change in philosophy of the series. You know, maybe they get away from doing so many double header weekends. We know they they got away from doing the freedom 100 and that was a, a penske call right so right and I, I think they're looking at maybe more cost savings and and ways to grow the field even more which the field is growing it's going back up again but but maybe it's still only four teams that are invested in it yeah they, they need to get new teams they need to get obviously more drivers i mean for that series you would hope with indycar having 28 cars at long beach coming up this weekend you would hope that you could get more than 15, you know, on the the second stepping stone. Right. And, and obviously part of it is they don't have a good TV deal. They don't have, you know, a lot of exposure. Right. And some of those things can be worked on. And I think that maybe is, is they, they need more synergy with IndyCar's schedule. Because, yeah, the weekends that it is with IndyCar, it, you know, it can get some attention. But, you know, they're ending the season at uh, – at mid Ohio, in a couple weeks or next weekend, nobody cares. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right? I mean, you're crowning a champion at a place that there's going to be nobody there, and uh, you know, and ask IndyCar how that is at Sonoma, kind of thing. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I just I could feel, you know, I just I just feel like there's probably hurdles between lights and IndyCar that is preventing 
teams from investing in it in terms of I'm talking IndyCar teams. What are those hurdles? And Roger Penske wants to straighten those out. Because I feel like he looks at all these teams that, okay, they're invested in this. You know, you take Andretti Autosport. I know they're they're invested in the road to Indy, so maybe that's a bad example. But let's take, um, I don't know, what's another team? with? Let's take uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, right? They're, they're in different racing disciplines. But not in Indy Lights. But not in Indy Lights. Why? They don't see it viable. Despite it being a natural ladder and jumping off point from Indy Lights to the IndyCar series. We see it. It works. But what are the hurdles keeping teams like Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanning, and A.J. Foyt Racing, and Ganaski and Penske from investing in Indy Lights? Because it should make sense, right? You're just developing your next talent you know, right below you in the same series, effectively. So why aren't they investing, or why aren't they taking, um, you know, advantage of this situation? Those are the questions that Roger Penske wants to know. He probably already knows the answers to those, and he feels they can be fixed um, with him controlling it, as opposed to Mr. Anderson. All right. Quick focus on Long Beach before we get to uh, other items. We have the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach, Friday practice, 6 to 6.45 p.m. Eastern, and on Saturday... Noon to 12.45 p.m. Eastern is practice two. Qualifying 3 to 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon Eastern time. That'll be on NBCSN and Peacock. So, wow, that that would mean live qualifying. And then on Sunday, the warm-up from noon to 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Again, all these sessions on Peacock. And then the race on Sunday, uh, the window is 3 to 6 p.m. NBCSN. Now, Peacock not listed for the... uh, streaming of this event so Hmm. yeah nothing mentioned as far as streaming on peacock so that's something to keep in mind for the weekend and it just says nbcsn so no peacock that's curious interesting but uh that's where we're at and then green flag for the race on sunday approximately about 3 30 yeah, I saw a little maybe a tad touch before three thirty, and did it was it me or did they start that race earlier than expected last weekend? I thought it was going to be a full thirty minute pre race. Um, no, it was it it started about three forty ish. I oh, think. did it really? Yeah. Was it that late? Well, I yeah. must have lost no sense of time there. <laughs> quick, so. uh, quick pick. I think we both agree Pelot's going to win the championship, but who do you think will win? Um. It's a great question. Um, until he wins a race that I pick, I probably will go Joseph Newgarden. <laughs> okay. Uh, my heart says Rossi because that, this is one of his dominant tracks, uh-huh. but my head says Scott Dixon. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> you go Dixon, I'll go Newgarden. Both of us will be wrong. We'll see who actually wins a race. For sure. Well, if you agree or disagree with our picks or, or anything so far on the schedule or Laguna Seca, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, subscribe to our weekly email list so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for New Track Record and like our page there. Also, on Twitter, our handle is IndyCar Podcast. You can send us an email as well, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. And find us on your favorite podcast platform. And that would be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you follow your podcasts for free. Okay, Justin, time for the mailbag and... 
naturally we have plenty to get to Excellent. within the past week. So scrolling back and getting back to some of the older things. So this is from Poet Shevchenko. Ari, the leader circle. Hear me out, guys. The chase for the leader circle. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I would much rather hear complete coverage and uh, lap-by-lap analysis of the leader circle than I would the championship at this point. Which is going to be a complete dud this weekend, by yeah. the way. Yeah, but at least it'd be something different. So teams cannot have more than three cars, except for Andretti Autosport, which was grandfathered in to uh, the the program. So this is from Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. Partial season team's not eligible, so... The Penske number three, the Ganassi 48, not eligible. 22 spots for 22 cars. So all the drama we had all season, we learned in the last, what, <laughs> two weeks that it's just a big Well, mess. same with uh, with Marshall Pruitt, too. He was writing about <laughs> it all season and then finally was told. Uh, this also from Poet Shevchenko on Twitter. Just occurred to me, your random split era driver of the week is the racing version of Red Letter Media's best of the worst and equally entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And we got uh, hopefully quite a doozy coming up shortly. Um, let's see here. Also, uh, Bauer Racing talking about uh, Texas says, "I know you aren't crazy about double headers, but it's only forty-five minutes away." That's from where he's from. Unfortunately, that idea that we had and he had of a double header at Texas with NASCAR and IndyCar not happening, which is uh, a real bummer. That's the only way I think Texas or IndyCar has a future at Texas is. Via a doubleheader. Hunter's Way 67 on St. Pete moving up. I have to believe this means a couple races will be added in the future around this time frame in March. Maybe Mexico or Homestead get added in the next year or two. That sounds exactly yeah. like what you said. Yeah, and I may or may not have uh, gotten this idea from Steve. So thank <laughs> you, Steve, because I'm pretty sure that's where I pieced that together. So thank you, Steve. That is a great idea, and we fully agree. Uh, Thanks for the shout-out by Daniel SCM 2004 on uh, IndyCar Podcast to listen to. Appreciate it uh, to a new IndyCar fan. Also, on the uh, thoughts on the schedule. So we shared ours overall. I mean, I think it's solid. You have a lot of races on network TV, and cannot stress that enough. That's going to be great for the the TV ratings next year. Uh, Transocean Trojan says almost every single race on NBC is legit. Only 17 races with Iowa in the Indy Road Course. They're twice each is sus. <laughs> so it's got its pros and cons. Would love to see a different configuration for that second Indy GP. That would help a bit. Yeah, if you're gonna race there twice, mix it up, please. Yeah, I would agree. But let's let's take a, a let's take a step back and transport ourselves three years ago. And if you would have said in 2022, 14 of 17 races will be on NBC, <laughs> there would have been no complaints. Yeah. I don't care what the schedule looks like, all that stuff. Like, that's it. 14 to 17, book it. A plus. Now that we're here, we're finding, you know, cracks in the in the, oh, that's in what, the armor. That's what IndyCar fans do. Well, that you know, that's <laughs> what people do, right? We critique it at every opportunity. But let's just look, you know, think about three years ago and imagine how far we've come. And, and just, I, I think because we've progressively gotten down this road, 14 of 17 races on NBC isn't as really shocking as it would have been even just a couple years ago. Yeah, and you you can't discount that enough, like you said, because it is if if you told an IndyCar fan that, you know, 
a year ago, they'd be like, okay, maybe I could see it because NBC had a lot more. But two or three years ago, they just would have like, you're crazy. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, it'd just be like telling, oh, yeah, Roger Penske's going to buy the Speedway in the series. If you would have told someone that a day before the announcement, they would have laughed at you. They would have been shocked but agreed it would be the best thing ever. Exactly. And so far. So far, so good. It is. It has been good. This from Jeremy from HBG. I think the last time IndyCar had this many races on network or tape delays and edited for time races, this makes a bunch of the other bit, I mean, complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I, see, I see where you went there. Yep. Irrelevant. That's funny. Uh, this from uh, Y, y Tay F not. <laughs> Instead of the, it's gotcha. T-E-H. Uh, hate the month-long gap after the first race. Love the amount of races on network. Some gripes about the repeat of Iowa and, and the road course, but overall, I like the schedule. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where we're at. It, it's just, you know, there are a few minor complaints, but overall, you can't really complain a whole lot because of all the network races, and that is the key for the growth on the commercial side of the sport, and we'll actually have more on that after the mailbag. If I had to set the line at races that finish on a network other than NBC that start on NBC at 1.5 for next year, would you take the over or the under? I'd take the under. You think zero or one? Yeah. Okay. Just because, I mean, they've made a big investment, and this is a huge step compared to before. Right, but how many... I mean, how much is the schedule dictated by, you know, you have this window type thing? I think it happens at least once. Yeah, I, I think it happens at least once as well. The, the issue is it goes to USA Network, right? I mean, and two, like, let's say we have a rain delay somewhere. Does USA it get Network. pushed to USA? Does it get pushed to Peacock? That's true. That is a downside because the network out times on the broadcasts are pretty tight. Now, they did go over on some races this this season right it just depends on what's scheduled after you know you know nascar is getting pushed to nbcsn and you know alternate channels if it has a delay so valid point we'll see what happens this from hunter's way 67 on twitter the network coverage is great the gaps in march and april need to be filled uh and i think they will homestead mexico also, can we drop the second IMS road course race, please? Yes. There has to be another venue willing to host IndyCar, right? Uh, uh, well, now, that one we don't know. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, Jamin T14, overall a great step. Love to see a Mexico race during a spring gap. Toronto and Peacock makes sense since our Canadian friends don't watch on NBC anyway, I think. Uh, actually, they do get NBC in Canada. They get, like, the American channels, I believe. So... Uh, they get to watch America, American TV. So they can't even watch, you know, on Peacock. They don't get Peacock. Gotcha. I do know that for a fact. Uh, he also says, plus, it's the race most likely to get canceled in 2022. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you said preposterous. Bring back versus. And I think <laughs> I, I'm going to correct you. You mean Outdoor Life Network. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> even before versus. Um, right. But all the races on Spike TV. <laughs> that just... Oh, wait. That was champ car in what 2004 yeah uh that you know it was tongue-in-cheek but also a reminder of how far we've come and this from scuba steve 87 first thing i noticed only one race at detroit yeah it, when they they tweeted out a graphic teasing the schedule with only one detroit layout and i thought well that's weird 
I just no one presumed, said anything about that. I just presumed there were two there. Like I didn't, I wasn't paying attention because usually they'll just say dual at Detroit and have it as one, you know, calendar date, but say you know, fourth and fifth or whatever. I didn't pay attention. I don't know if you were the one that pointed out to me or if I finally caught on. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I saw from other people pointing it out, but it is quite, quite odd. Uh, both of these from Chucky WX. Too bad they scheduled Texas same weekend as Sebring. Not cool. And also care. in Toronto, drew the short straw. Thought two races were supposed to be on Peacock. Yes, they were, but IndyCar negotiated to yeah sweeten the not, deal. Not have that apparently. happen. Um, yeah, back with Sebring. I, it, I maybe I'm just not a not a pure racing fan. I couldn't care less about the uh, the clash. If you're an IndyCar team, you're racing IndyCar. Well, and a lot can. of these are in both series, but right, I know. But Sebring, they usually bring in a third driver. That's why it's an issue because it's usually an IndyCar driver. Yeah, and it's like you know what? If if that was like, hey, if you want a network race, another network race, and not a, a second Peacock race, then you have to race on this date. Then you take it every day of the week. So that could have been a decision they had to make. All right, a lot of comments on your tweet on. You know, Mike Hall detailing kind of the the technical strategy stuff uh, for races that NBC is missing on the broadcast. Uh, Transocean Trojan says, is Mike Hall retired? Thought he was still working. If not, yeah, they could really use him on the broadcast. You guys made a great point. I've never even thought of in regards to having a strategist on the telecast much needed. Yeah, Mike Hall still works for Ganassi. He's Scott Dixon's strategist, so not an option currently, but maybe in the future. Uh, Indy underscore bet uh, so valuable to betting. Yeah, I don't I don't know what kind of in race betting options they have though, so I, I don't know. If None that's that I have. I mean, I'm helpful. only on Kings and and Fanduel, but um, Fanduel doesn't even have IndyCar. Um, it I thought it did early in the year. Maybe it was just the 500, but there are no live betting on IndyCar races on DraftKings. That is uh, an issue. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. I mean, but then again, I just don't know how much action you're going to get outside of the 500. So, I mean, I That's know true. it's kind of chicken to the egg thing. You know, if you don't have it, nobody's doing it. Um, so you need to have it. So, uh, but, you know, I, I would be gladly lose more money and bet live on IndyCar. <laughs> uh, Jamin T14, I want to hear Paul Tracy sort this out and then Bell resort it out while Jan Vikas <laughs> watches on laughing. Hashtag kidding, hashtag maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jan Vikas is too nice of a guy. To do something like that, but you know, deep down, he knows he he's watching this, these broadcasts just like we are, and he's like, you know, they could really use me over there. Yeah, for sure. Okay, rate the race time. A lot of responses. How would you rate uh, the race? I would rate it a seven, and that, that feels like the uh, the meaty part of the curve. I was gonna go eight, only because. I expect so little out of Laguna Seca <laughs> that I thought, wow, this is actually pretty entertaining. You had great tire strategy at the end. You yeah, had an exciting start, but not a stupid start. And, and, you know, we were going back and forth. You know, was it a good crowd? Was it a mediocre crowd? No idea. Was it a bad crowd? I Like, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what I'm supposed to, uh, to take out of that. Uh, I felt like, you know, it was it had more people there than Sonoma did. Yeah, but I don't know if that's a good barometer. No, that's not. That's not saying you know? all. So, 
you know, there were some stretches, particularly the front stretch, where there wasn't a lot of people in the grandstands. But I thought some of the that's not turns, a spot where you want to be. Yeah, anyway. yeah. There some of the turns had a lot of people on the mounds. So, yeah, I, I I don't know what to make of it. All right, a lot of replies here. So, I am analog tweets six out of ten. Had it on in the background. Felt it was tame for what I've heard this track can do. Grosjean's run was amazing. I said out loud a few times. There's no way he picked up another second. Pochevchinko, <laughs> uh, it's got to be a nine. Laguna Seca, and especially the racing service, makes for great racing, which he got a lot of throughout the race and of Grosjean's many passes. And his charge to the podium, that pass on Johnson was iconic. Yeah, that was he got all his all four of his wheels off the ground. Someone pointed. Yeah, that was nuts. Crazy. Uh, Five hundred Indy nineteen eleven gave it a six out of ten. Without Grosjean, it was a three out of ten. <laughs> yeah, I I do think you know at least a couple points was picked up by that late Grosjean. Hard to disagree with that. Uh, DC Soda says an eight for me and way more entertaining than a race where there was one leader had any right to be. Any time on a road course you finish with the top three that close, it's good. Plus Grosjean had an amazing run. Uh, Marathon underscore Freak gave it an eight out of ten. Had Grosjean picked up below. And made a run at Herta, it would have been a 9 or 10. All exciting to see action on the final laps. Uh, Karmic Fast 1 gave it a 10 for Grosjean, but a 2 otherwise. <laughs> Hunter's wow. Way 67 gave it a 9. Best race I've seen at Laguna Seca. Herta has that place dialed, but the action behind him, uh, specifically Grosjean, was fantastic. Can't wait to go back next year. NK Harden gave it an 8. Great action through the field all race long. Would have liked more passing for the lead and a yellow or two to mix up strategies. Great race, though. Um, let's see. Jamin T14 gave it an 8 out of 10. Action was plentiful behind top two, and it's such a different track. Looking forward to Long Beach, but given how hard everyone is racing this year, it may be a yellow flag parade. Ain't <laughs> uh, that the truth? <laughs> and then Daniel SCM 2004 gave it an 8. Seemed like lots of good racing behind the leaders. Herta had the field covered, never seemed to push it. The radio broadcast described lots more action than what NBC showed. Well, of course. I'm ready for a race to decide the championship, and I know I was kind of you know berating the fact that we are crowned a champion this week. That is not at a roaming road course with a lot of runoff. Like you, it's concrete canyons at Long Beach, and there's a lot of cars that are going to be there, and not a lot of real estate. So I feel like there's going to be some scenario where a contender, quote unquote contender, is taken out by an event here Stupidity. you can't <laughs> stay out of the way at long beach like you can at sonoma when we we're there even laguna seca um it's difficult to get out the way at long beach on purpose and so i think we're in for an exciting final race i wish it was all no holds barred everybody was going for a win but even then i, I feel like this track is conducive to a little bit more drama for a championship than this series otherwise would at Laguna Seca or previously Sonoma. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. One more on Rate the Race. Jack Metallic tweets 8 out of 10. First part of the race was great with plenty of overtaking different strategies in play. Second half was less exciting except for Grosjean. An overtake for the win would have earned the race a higher grade. I don't think we're going to get that, though, with how that race played out uh, for sure. Okay, so that's uh, Rate the Race. See if we have really anything else to get to. Uh, this from a Jeff. I'm going to apologize for mispronouncing your name here, Jeff Zanerski. Uh, the new IndyCar 2022 TV schedule is pretty smart. 
if the Toronto race does not happen, then all the races will be on network TV. Well, not quite, because you have a gateway on USA and then Detroit on USA, which is odd, because that's the race after the 500. Yeah. I I found that to be an odd, odd call there. But either way, so many network races, you can't complain. Uh, also, some thoughts on Askew. Uh, 500 Indy 1911 just sent a gift saying agreed as far as putting Askew in a full-time ride. Hunter's Way 67 says he's shown he deserves that number 45 car. I don't think he'll be in that ride. I think he'll find something, though. I just I don't know what it will be as far as a full season. Like I, I don't know if it'll be a full season thing, but he'll find something. I To me, I think Ferrucci is the favorite for that. Ray Hall third seat. Yeah, I'd agree at this point. But we expected Jack Harvey to be announced sooner than this, and yet here we are still <laughs> waiting. So who knows? Good point. All right. So some responses on this. And so Charlie Kimball racing at Long Beach this weekend. But Trackside Online um, saying that we could see more Charlie Kimball next year. In fact, Charlie Kimball uh, says his laps in qualifying for the Indy 500 in May will not be his final laps at IMS. His goal is for a full season next year. His motto is have helmets, will travel. He'll entertain offers to drive anything, anywhere. Uh, Daniel SCM 2004 says out there, but really in the mix for something outside of Indy. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised by this. Right. And Bill Hessa says drove the second car for Carlin once. They say they want two cars again. That's a valid point. Yeah. True, and if you bring some money, that that definitely helps. And then some some replies to this. So <laughs> the the Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I thought this was a joke at first. <laughs> no, it's real. Uh, Adam Stern tweeting with so much drama anticipated for IndyCar season finale in the LBC. In Long Beach. Yeah, this weekend, NBC Sports has brought on Snoop Dogg to voice the opening intro to the telecast. You will enter the title contenders and preview the race. That's Sunday at 3 o'clock Eastern on NBCSN. Uh, <laughs> there's one tweet that I'm saving for tweets of the week because it was that good. Uh, <laughs> but Zach of the track said, with so much drama in the LBC. And uh, Scuba Steve 85, Snoop is from Long Beach, so not that far out of left field. Could bring in new viewers. It was shaped up to be a close title fight. Um, and then we'll save that last one for uh, one of the tweets of the week because it was it was that good. It was that good. <laughs> Excellent. Looking forward to it. As always, send us your tweets, Facebook message, emails, snail mail, whatever, and we'll get to that stuff in the following week's episode. Okay, so we talked about some business stuff, and Adam Stern with an article on Sports Business Journal now – Pro tip for those of you at home, which would be all of you listening, hopefully, or in your car, <laughs> yeah, I guess, Good, or at work. Or in space. Maybe. We, do we have any astronauts that listen? Yeah. I, I don't know. I know there are astronauts who've got IndyCar ties, so if you're listening in space, please yeah, tweet us. Yeah, please. Or something. I mean, that- Let well, us know. Actually, I don't know. Do they have Wi-Fi in space? I have to imagine they'll be able to yeah, I, do I something up so. there. Yeah. <laughs> They're not competing with very many people for bandwidth, that's for sure. That's true. So the article, IndyCar Please with on-track business progress as season wraps up. And, and the key thing, so some of the stats here. 
first off, uh, Mark Miles says IndyCar expects a 20% increase in sponsorship revenue next year, along with increased sanction fees from tracks and a 25 to 30% increase in international rights fees. Uh, obviously, that's due to Roman Grosjean joining IndyCar. And then also a different executive, uh, Jonathan Gibson, who is the Penske Corp Exec VP slash Marketing and Business Development. Uh, he says that for the renewal period for the Indy 500 for next year is one of the best we've seen over the last 10 years. Um, hey, hey. So that is positive. And also, and you caught this, the new video game that will debut in 2023, but it will specifically be in May, according to Gibson. So we got some some clarification there. Which, which makes sense. Um, and I, I, for the love of me, I can't remember whether we predicted that or not, because we were talking about when this thing would be released. And, you know, we talked about what could it be prior to the season. Uh, May, May, I feel like, makes the most sense. That's yeah. when you're in the eyes of the most people in around the 500 in the month of May. And then also, this is a detail that we haven't received, but the prior deal with NBC was worth roughly $20 million annually to IndyCar. And Miles said there will be an increase from 2021 to 22 in the net value rights fee for us. Now, how much of the increase depends on how successfully they are at selling ads as part of the revenue share. So... They're doing a revenue share for the advertising, which I think we learned that before, right? Yeah. But this is just more details on that. And the concern was they wouldn't be able to get as much money with this new TV deal, but they were able to secure more. Now, part of that, like this says, depends on the right share. If you want to read the full article, again, all you need is an email address for a login, and you can read it for free. Simple as that. But it was good information, and, um, you know, how much is this is, at least with the advertising, is it more advertisers interested in IndyCar? Is it Penske using its relationships and business, uh, you know, workings to gain more revenue? I mean, however it's doing, that's fine. Um, You know, hopefully it does mean that it's trending in the right direction, at least for outside advertisers, but... However, they're bringing in the revenue is fine with me. It looks like very positive, you know, very positive for 2022. Then this other note from Adam Stern: uh, IndyCar got back on track in large part by hosting fans again at the Indy 500. And Mark Miles said there was such recognition of this that some Indiana legislators offered to pass a law blocking local restrictions. IndyCar turned down the offer and in the end didn't need it. Hmm. Yeah, and it. Watching the the 500 on TV and even being there in person seemed like it was a lot more than 40%. Just going to say. Yeah, yeah, it did. A lot more. Definitely did. I think they stretched some some guidelines there. Okay, so that covers kind of some of the the business items that we have. You ready for uh, some silly season talk? Of course. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of new stuff. And you... Honestly, something coming up, and then we didn't get anything. Well, okay, what do you got? I, I have a third OEM thing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know that's one of our favorite Here topics. We go. So, Nathan Brown of the Indie Star with an article. Now, we mentioned to you earlier that Roman Grosjean expected to be confirmed at Andretti in that Friday announcement of Long Beach Weekend. So, the updates through the field this is from Nathan Brown of the Indie Star. AJ Foyt. Uh, either of the current drivers are not locked up for next year. 
Larry Floyd says he'd like both to return. Uh, Kellett uh, obviously brings high backing. There's a high likelihood he returns, that according to Brown. Bourdais, it kind of depends. Uh, Rocket, the sponsor for him. Conversations are going ongoing with Rocket, but they also are said to be interested in helping fund a second car. Remember they tested Tatiana Calderon back in July at Mid-Ohio, I believe. Well, third car, you mean? Well, this says helping fund a second car. So they're funding the 14, but this would be uh, a, a Oh, different... Rocket is looking yeah, into yeah. funding. I got gotcha. you. So, but Brown says, should they maintain status quo? Things seem up in the air as to whether Long Beach could be his final IndyCar race. That Talking about Bourdais. And with that, he would obviously go to sports cars. Andretti Autosport, again, nothing is really new here. We expect Hinchcliffe to be gone as well and Devlin DeFrancesco to step in, and then Groshan is going to fill in for Ryan hunter Ray, who is leaving the team. Aaron McLaren SP, again, same two drivers, and then a third car could come, but that's not expected till 2023. With Ray Hall, again, we Graham Ray Hall, we know we'll be back. We expect Jack Harvey, the 45 car. It is very much up in the air between Ferrucci and Askew and whoever else. Carlin, this one's fun. So Max Chilton, he wants a second car. Again, we've talked about this before. The team has discussed a possibility with HMD Motorsports. That would mean David Malukas, who's and second in lights after Kyle huh. Kirkwood swept the weekend. Yeah. So big result by him. So, but again, this this could be a while before that one's determined. With Chip Ganassi racing, Erickson, Dixon, Palo back, Jimmy Johnson. It depends if he runs the full schedule or just the Indy 500 in run street course races. That could change. And, and Tony Kanaan has a contract for ovals next year as well. Dale Coin racing. Again, Ed Jones still in the mix. We know that Grosjean's most likely gone. We mentioned last week that Coin told Motorsport.com that he was 80% there for a deal with Sato, uh, but doesn't seem like that is completely finished yet. Other options for Coin: Hunter Ray and James Hinchcliffe staying out, according to Brown. And then Kyle Kirkwood, who's raced on the IMSA side with Vassar Sullivan, that Brown basically says it's believed Kirkwood would need to seal the championship and the $1.25 million scholarship that comes with it to work his way more firmly into the picture. That would be for the 18 car. Which is looking very promising right now. Yeah, at the moment. Then Ed Carpenter racing. We know Renus VK is back. Ed Carpenter's back for the ovals. It all comes down to Connor Daly, and we won't have the answer on that for a month or more, according to Brown, because it all depends on the U.S. Air Force. So he basically has to wait to see what the Air Force decides. Need to get that defense budget passed <laughs> for 2022. And then that that is kind of the hang-up on whether or not Connor comes back. But uh, Daly says he's not worried that the, the U.S. Air Force could stick around with ECR but be used to support another driver. So that sounds positive there. And then with Hunkos Holling, Hollinger Racing, the new full-time team for next year, Callum Eilat, of course, running – at Long Beach this weekend, you would think he's one of the names, but Ricardo Junkos had three drivers under consideration. Two of them are ex-F1 drivers, according to Junkos, that pulled out. So Eilat filled the schedule. That was for this year. But, right. But drivers who haven't raced in any car before are under consideration for next year. 
You would think Kyle Kaiser would be a name, Spencer Pickett as well. Obviously, Callum Eilat would be a part of that discussion. I feel like one of those F1 drivers was Alex Albon, in really? my opinion. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, he was sniffing around and then backs out. Why? Probably because he was going to land a seat for 2022. That's that's a good point. Then Meyer Shank, we know that Elio will be in the 06 car, and then we fully expect Simon Pagano to be in the 60 car. That announcement could come this weekend. And then going back to Ray Hall, so Harvey's deal believed to have been set earlier this summer. They could have kept Sato if sponsorship worked out. Um, results have not been solid. Sato's 12th in points. Also, we know something about the Honda engine lease. It's kind of the same waiting period, you know, on whether what funding Honda provides. Sure. And for Askew, uh, Brown says he sees this as perhaps his last hope at making a career in IndyCar, and that's that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think, uh, you know, has he done enough? I feel like he's been, been pretty solid out there uh, in the first couple of races that he's been out here. You know, he struggled with Portland, but, you know, correct me if I'm he got caught up in something in Portland, right? Yeah, he got caught yeah. up on, on that opening lap. I mean, he very well could have a couple of top tens. I mean, ninth uh, at Laguna Seca. So I think he's doing all he possibly can. We'll see if it's enough. And then Team Penske, I don't think this is a surprise, but Brown says a series source confirmed at Portland what Indy Star reported months ago. Should a driver leave the team at the end of the year, i.e. Pagano, Team Penske would stay at three full-time cars headed into 2022. So that's where we're at. As far as lights, guys, DeFrancesco, we expect in the 29, David Malukas will end up somewhere uh, in, in support with his dad and HMD. And then we know that Kyle Kirkwood is likely to end up in IndyCar if he wins the lights title. That's a lock. If he doesn't, I still think it'll happen. And then Linus Lundquist, who's also with HMD, is third. So he'll get a test because the top three and the Lights Championship get that test, but I don't think we'd expect him to get an IndyCar ride for next year. But that's just another name to keep on the radar on the you know periphery. Lot, lot, lot there. We'll see how it shakes out. And then, let's see, just some other notes that didn't get to as far as silly season stuff that weren't in that article. I don't think there's a whole lot new, you know, otherwise. But Jenna Fryer. Some more detail with Bourdais, saying I think there's going to be an IMSA move with Bourdais moving to Ganassi to replace Magnussen, uh, because I think Magnussen is going to do WEC with Peugeot. Yeah, he is doing WEC with Peugeot next year. Uh, She says, but I think Bourdais is also still going to do IndyCar. Kel said he's in talks with another season for Foyt. Uh, Ryan Hunter-Ray will land somewhere, but I'm not sure Carpenter's Road and Streets plus the 500 is ideal for him. I'd imagine he wants a full season, if nothing else, a good 500 car. IMSA also an opportunity. And Dale Coyne saying, uh, <laughs> come back and check, although there's no chance he's not seriously talking to Sato. Sato hold is likely daily in Air Force. It's late when Honda tells Sato what funding he will have. No one knows that the money will only be enough for Indy 500. And, and the whole Connor Daly not being concerned, well, that's because the Ray Hall team account tweeted out, you know, happy birthday to the Air Force. And <laughs> Graham Ray Hall had a ride with the Thunderbirds, and I think that's why that prompted the, those talks. Ah, <laughs> hmm. So that is kind of the, the detail there. Another driver who we 
at least expect to be back for the Indy 500 next year. He started at Bristol in Xfinity. That's Sage Karam. Started really? 32nd, finished 16th. So hey. congrats to him on his run last weekend at Bristol. That's pretty exciting. Absolutely. That's a that's a, a tough track. At Bristol, yeah. <laughs> okay. And that's kind of all the the silly season stuff and, and all notes. the silly seasonness that we yeah, can that we can handle <laughs> for for the moment. Uh, this from Chris Blair. He's one of the promoters at Gateway. People concerned about well, now that Cup is coming to St. Louis, what does that mean for IndyCar? He says, "Stay tuned. I've been spending a lot of time working on ways to make next year's Bomberito." Uh, automotive group IndyCar weekend even better. I was at the Portland GP for that very reason. I've been working on USAC Nation very hard to join the party. I love IndyCar. Love in all caps. So I think that uh, should quell some fears there. Yeah, as long as you don't see any PBJ on the surface at Gateway, I feel like having Cup at Gateway is is only a positive, I feel, for IndyCar. And that is the key, because I think that that is what everyone is so afraid of. Absolutely. Yes definitely stay and i don't even know how much it works for cup anyway to be honest it really doesn't i mean yeah, i think I they mean, switch to like some resin now that is more effective i don't know uh, to me if you need something like that <laughs> you need to work on yeah, the cars probably, and the tires and <laughs> yeah yeah right <laughs> that's well, the real with, issue. you know the next gen, is the next gen car next year or the year after i don't know i, I don't think know. it's anyway. next year yeah i think so maybe that'll uh maybe that'll help help the cause all right, headline. Try as it might, IndyCar striking out an effort to lure third engine manufacturer. If you want to take the time, you can read it at Auto Week Online. <laughs> but that's that's the update. There's yeah, really no yeah, update. It's, there's nothing. <laughs> it's it's basically saying the series is growing and the popularity is growing, but they still only have two OEMs. So what are you going to do? One of the current OEMs, I uh, failed to mention this earlier, Honda Performance Development picked up their fourth straight IndyCar manufacturer's title with uh, Colton Herta winning at Laguna Seca. So congrats to them. Hey, hey. All right, a couple of championship notes. Yes. So first off, we look at something that has affected Alex Blow over the season. This is from Racer. IndyCar will reassess its approach to grid penalties over unapproved engine changes that expected for next year. That's a good move. Also, you look at some of the championship winners this from trackside online so this this to me was really interesting so neither alex below or pato award had won an indy car race prior to this year sam hornish in 2001 was the last driver to win their first indy car race and championship in the same season others include juan pablo montoya tony stewart jimmy vassar mario andretti and aj foyt the decent group uh, well this is where it gets fun the rest of the list includes some of your favorites justin oh what we got greg ray uh-huh kenny brack Scott Sharp, wait for it, Buzz Calkins, yeah, <laughs> Nigel Mansell, Sam Hanks, Chuck Stevenson, Henry Banks, and Ted Horn. Buzz. <laughs> everyone's. I think that's like everyone's favorite champion. It, it's kind of like name a random driver who won an IndyCar race and you always go with Carlos Huertas. <laughs> name a random driver that won a championship. Buzz Calkins. <laughs> <laughs> and 99% of people of IndyCar fans are going, that's not right. And it is. <laughs> He tied. <laughs> this from IMS Museum. So six drivers in the last 40 years finished second in the Indy 500, but went on to win the IndyCar Championship. Obviously, Alex Below could become the next one. The most recent was actually last year, Scott Dixon. Oh, before that, you have Kanan in 2004, 
Buddy Lazier in 2000, Michael Andretti in 91, Alan Sir Sr. in 83, and Rick Mears in 1982. We also failed to mention this, and I can't believe we missed it. Alfonso Ribeiro, he, he was did. a guest of Andretti Autosport, sang the national anthem. Yeah, he did. At Laguna Seca. So that, that was cool. Did a and good job. Yeah, he did a solid job. So could he? So that's obvious. He's going to start a race team. But <laughs> yeah. he does like IndyCar. He does. Yeah, IndyCar fan. And then this note on Ryan Hunter Ray. So we talk about people moving teams. Well, this is the the last time Ryan Hunter Ray starts with Andretti. It'll be his 282nd career IndyCar start. Moves him into 10th place on the all time list. That from Trackside Online. We also expect it to be Simon Pagano's final start for Team Penske. And with that, uh, you see Netflix could bid for F1. Really? Yeah. The Did Netflix not see CEO that. told a, a German outfit reportedly, this is according to Adam Stern, Der Spiegel, which I've actually heard of. Yeah, me too. That he'd consider bidding for F1's live race media rights when they next come up for bid. Huh. Which is fascinating. Now, is Nation, and maybe this is a stupid question, is, Net, is Netflix available worldwide or is he just talking America? Um, I mean, they, I mean, this could be worldwide because they're available in other countries. It's not just the U.S. Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, you can't even get Peacock in Canada. I don't know. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That is a very valid point. Uh, Okay. And a couple other quick things before we get to your driver of the week, split air driver of the week. Congrats to Katie and Taylor Kyle as they welcome their daughter, Earlier this week, Quinn, Amelia, Kyle, five pounds, nine ounces. So congrats to them. Taylor Kyle is the what team president at Aero McLaren SP. So congrats to them. And then also congrats to Dalton Kellett, who is engaged. So congrats to him as well. Good job, Dalton. And with that, we're time for our random split era driver of the week, Justin. All right. Let's... Uh... Let's bring it all home here towards the end of the podcast as we do each and every edition of this little venture of ours. And we're going back to 1999, Caleb, the Indy Racing League, uh, who, which included Mr. Buzz Calkins racing yes. every single race for Bradley Motorsports back then. He didn't win the championship that year. Uh, he finished 13th for those scoring at home. But we're not going to talk about Buzz Calkins today. We're going to talk about Doug Dodaro. What? Mr. Doug Dodaro. He was born in 1960 in Hamilton, Ontario, former driver in the Indy Racing League. He raced six, well, yes, six races in 1999 and 2000 for Mid-America Motorsports in the IRL. (laughs) There's another made-up race team name no it's exactly it's true mid-america it's, it, it was started by the credit union um, <laughs> or or the the athletic collegiate athletic yes conference. yes it was the mac <laughs> conference's first venture into autosport uh but mid-america motorsports his first race doug didero's first race was at texas in 1999 finished 20th it was the season finale that year uh, and then came back and began the year for Mid-America Motorsports in 2000. He raced at Walt Disney World, Phoenix, Vegas, Texas, and Pikes Peak. And did not qualify <laughs> for the Indianapolis 500. Yeah, I was waiting for that 2000. part. Now, he ran in the NASCAR Bush Series he did. in the early 90s. 
And he did. He went on some. Uh, he raced at Hickory, which, uh, if it, if it's not yet on Lost Speedways, uh, I, actually, I think it still exists. That's why it's not on. Yeah, there. I was going to say Hickory Motor uh, Speedway. Pietro Fittipaldi, I think, won a race in a stock car type series at Hickory. It is one or has of, the the track record or something like that. Really? So yeah. like it is one of the short tracks in the east like north carolina i think that's where hickory is yes um and like the who's who of nascar legends raced at hickory um so he he raced there in uh in in bush series racing but um he he was best known for his success in the super modified division at oswego speedway in new york and in imsa where he and and car owner skip Maczak won two dozen features on his way to three consecutive track championships uh, at Oswego. Um, so he 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 was the Oswego king in New York, basically. Uh, but he he retired at the end of the 2010 season after conflicts with his car owner as well as other drivers <laughs> at the track. That's awesome. That's great. So uh, yeah, Doug Doug Didero, um I'm kind of wondering uh, where he qualified at the uh, or you know obviously he did not qualify. I'm wondering uh, if he made any runs. Looks like he wrecked in qualifying. That'll do it. Yeah. So uh, his rookie wrecked in qualifying. Um, so never really got a chance to put a qualifying uh, session together. But um, when I look at Mid-America Motorsports here, Caleb, before we go, um, in 1999 just did one race, and then in 2000 did five, and I'm wondering who replaced him, if anyone. Aha! So, Doug Dodaro started the year in 2000 as the man for Mid-America Motorsports in the Dallara Oldsmobile uh, Scott I, Harrington. I, I hated the sound of those cars. <laughs> Scott Harrington. I do recall that name. Scott Harrington stepped in for one race, and then Jacques Lazier did a race, and Davey Hamilton did a race. So, Mid America Motorsports, uh, you know, six races with Dodaro, five starts, and then uh, had three other drivers run the final three races of the season um in the 2000 campaign so what's crazy about the drivers bumped from the indy 500 including doug dadera who who wrecked mimo gidley wrecked hideshi matsuda wrecked in qualifying and practice but actually some like well-known guys scott harrington was the second alternate dr jack miller was the first alternate (laughs) davy jones was bumped robbie unser was bumped dan drynan waved off and then roberto guerrero also waved off yeah roberto guerrero he had some there's some some names there yeah so uh but yeah coming back doug didero now currently living in mooresville north carolina probably a stone's throw from uh hickory raceway and uh uh had six starts in the irl 1999-2000 never started the indianapolis 500 but tried and wrecked so that is your random split era driver of the week this week, Mr. Doug Dodaro, 1999 and 2000 participant in the Indy Racing League. Now, that would have been the Northern Light Indy Racing League at the time, right? It was, most definitely, at least 2000. Um, I think 99 was still Pep Boys, I think. I think so. I know 98 was for sure. Yeah. So uh, 
I got a Pep Boys hat at the Speedway one time going to like a practice or qualifying day for the and, 500 and I think it would have been 98 because I remember Billy Boat had the Conseco car ooh, for AJ Foyt that's that right. year. I think he won pole. I'm not really? sure. That was one of my first experiences I can recall at the Speedway. I was scared because the cars were really loud. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and you still wear that Pep Boys hat everywhere you go? No. Oh. It's somewhere. I think... I think it's got some autographs. Like I think Foyt's autograph is on. Really, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to check, but there it's somewhere go. in the box go. or something. We we would be remiss in, in mentioning this, and you and I have both faded into obscurity with the uh, fantasy league that we started. And trust me, next year we're gonna be on that a little bit more. Well, I couldn't like log in suddenly. <laughs> well, I just I just kicked you out. Uh, I no, think I don't you know did. why. I don't know why, but I can get in. But the winner of that league after this week we're going to invite onto the show and uh and we'll talk to them a little bit and and uh see their fandom and all that so if you're still in the fantasy league if you're still setting your lineup because lord knows you and i aren't caleb yeah um i missed the duel at detroit and then i knew it was pointless after that i've missed that was my thing. several of the past yeah. few races so uh the winner of our uh our fantasy league for for indycar fantasy uh, will be a guest on the show in the near future. And also, I, I promised before the start of the season, top three, I'd send them a sticker. So there you go. I will a lot do on that the line. Well. Forget the IndyCar championship. We got a lot on the line at Long Beach this weekend. And, you know, if I can find somewhere, maybe I could try to get the winner some rich energy. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Not sure where I'm going to find that. <laughs> that's that's a bit of a stretch. Absolutely. All right. Time for tweets of the week. We didn't We didn't miss anything else, right? No, I don't we, think we so. Covered we all covered all of it. it. We didn't miss a single thing. Yeah, no, at, we never do. <laughs> all right. Tweets of the week, and I'm going to mispronounce this name. I believe it's Dutch, but it's Mr. Dimendal. Uh He usually tweets a lot of stuff related to, like, the latter series. I think, uh-huh. I think some connections there. Another thing. One Andretti driver leads the light standings with nine wins and only one finish outside the top two in the last 12 races. The other is sixth. Lost over a second per lap to his teammate at Laguna and has two third places. Guess who has an IndyCar seat for 2022? <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's where it's at. It, hey, money talks even at Andretti Autosport. This from Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. RIP Mr. Rabbit. We, we didn't discuss <laughs> Colton Herta. That was brutal. And the funny thing was they kept that showing animal. it multiple oh, yeah. times. We didn't need a replay of that. It we was all saw a rabbit it. and it got destroyed. It was in pieces. The word I would use is pulverized. Yes. It was it was flattened and pulverized. All right. Final tweet of the week, and I think uh, this one deserves some, some love. This from Nick J. Fletcher in uh, regards to Snoop Dogg doing the driver intros. Said, if Snoop doesn't call Pato, Pato a whistle, I'm turning <laughs> the television off. <laughs> uh, that was hilarious. That was very, very good. Very <laughs> hey, good stuff. Uh, by no means am I b- bashing the NBC crew, but if you put Snoop Dogg on the broadcast for a little bit, must listen. Must yes. see. Well, if you watched, did you ever watch his Olympic show on Peacock with, uh, oh, the comedian? I didn't watch it. Okay. I, I watched, <laughs> I think, one or two episodes. Very entertaining. They had, it? Like, it was like a late night show. Why can't I think of the comedian? Um Kevin Hart. There we go. Oh, there you go. It's very funny. I like Snoop. I'm fine with it. It caught me off guard for the Long Beach thing and, and kind of random, and I don't know how much 
how many viewers are actually going to know who Snoop Dogg is, but I'm down with it. Give me some Snoop. You're down with the LBC? Oh, yeah, always. <laughs> All right, well, we'll be back next week with a recap of the race and the LBC at Long Beach. And that will be it. That'll be our final race recap of the 2021 season. It's crazy that we've come that far. And then we'll get into the real exciting stuff like rumors of international races, third and fourth OEMs, silly season actually having driver announcements. That should all come in, in the coming weeks in the off season. But but for now, next week we'll be back to recap the race at Long Beach and discuss a new IndyCar champion. That's also pretty exciting to think about. Either way, it will be a new champion, whether it's Polo or Pato. Exciting. You sound so thrilled. <laughs> no, I'm just uh, – no, it would be nice to have we, – we talked about it at the beginning of the year that I felt like it would still go the same way it has been until we were proven wrong. And here we are with two first-timers um, battling for the championship. It, it's cool to see. Maybe we're seeing a changing of the guard a little bit, something that I felt maybe we were a little too far ahead of at the beginning of the year. But here we are, coming down to the to one race to crown a champion, a first-time champion. It's really nice. We we truly have had a changing of the guard this season. It's It's been exciting. It's been kind of refreshing. No doubt. Some, some new people in place. Well, for Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us this week on another episode of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.